This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello and welcome to episode 185 of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Jordan and I'm joined today by Brady and David. It is finally game week once more as Georgia State will kick off the 2023 season this Thursday at Center Park Stadium against Rhode Island. We'll preview all sides of the game. But first, gentlemen, we've got a lot to talk about for this. Uh, let's go ahead and start off with some depth chart impressions uh, that just got released this week. Uh, Brady, David, what are your thoughts? Yeah, he confirmed a couple of things that me and Ben had seen and talked about at the open practice. Uh, just nothing surprising with the skill positions. The quarterback, obviously, you know, Darren Granger is the starter. Keely Colasordo is the backup. Marcus Carroll, Casey Adams listed. Assume still Freddie Brock will be a featured as the third running back. Uh, Talik Williams, Jakari Carter, Robert Lewis, Rico Arnold transfer from UMass. Jakai's Cradle and Kadarius Thompson at wide receiver. That's one I think we think Lewis is going to be the leader, but those are all basically the guys we figured were going to be around and get some targets. So we'll see how that shakes out. Tight end, going to be a combination of Chris Burton and Amon Green. So nothing new pretty much all through there. And then nothing entirely new because the offensive line is basically the pieces we kind of figured it would be. We saw Trevor Timmons, who's starting at right guard at the open practice starting there. So first indication that he had a leg up at that spot. I guess the only real offensive shock is a surprise is Jonathan Brown getting the starting spot over Titan Ferris at left guard. Ferris had been there at the open practice. So I guess I don't know if Brown was getting held out or they're just getting a different look at that point if it hadn't been decided at that point, but that's the starting five, Travis Glover, Brown, Avery Reese at center, Timmons at right guard, and Montavious Cunningham at right tackle. And, you know, the thing that I take away from it is not like, oh, how did Ferris got, get beat? It's that, you know, last year, the thing that we've said, the biggest problem with the offensive line was that there just was not any depth there. And then we had injuries and you had to shift guys around. It showed, especially as the year went on. And you look at Ferris as a backup, he's probably the backup at both guard spots if, you know, something comes up. But the, the backup at right guard behind Timmons is Lamar Robinson, the Norfolk State transfer. It feels like you've got multiple guys – Robinson is also a guy who's got some guard tackle variability, I think. So in the event of an injury, he can maybe pop outside. So you've got at least seven guys that you feel could play. And I think that is at least one or two more than was the case last year. So it feels like an improvement. And even though Ferris isn't starting, I still think we're going to see him before the season's end. I think they'll end up relying on him for some key snaps. But even as a backup, still an important part of building what was the weakness of the offensive line last year it certainly would be you know helpful if all these guys see time and i i remember going into the 2021 season you know all the talk was about the consistency with the offensive line and, and it showed it definitely showed that year and you know you lost that last year obviously this year, you know, there's been some graduations, you know, guys have kind of shuffled around, but yeah, I mean, the depth chart really isn't saying too much. I think, you know, all like you said, all of these guys are going to play and obviously two, three weeks from now, we'll probably know who's going to be, who we expect to be the healthy starter, you know, going forward. But, you know, nothing really surprised me on the offense. Like you said, I think if there was anything that surprised me, it came more on the defensive side of the ball and we could talk about that, you know when we get there. Yeah. I mean, I just wanted to say one more thing and 
it's more of like a trying to read tea leaves if they're possibly there. It's a, a feeling that I've had basically since Georgia State signed the guy that I think Coach Elliott really likes, Alec Johnson, who's the backup center in this first depth chart as a redshirt freshman. And I don't have any reason to think that Avery Reese isn't the guy at center. Uh, it's kind of, he's kind of actually getting an opportunity this year to really step into the role because it's been Malik Sumter's job the last few years. Just he has been the incumbent, the rock solid guy in the middle of the offensive line. But, you know, kind of like Sumter when he was a redshirt freshman, he started out that year as, as the backup at center. And about midway through the year, he took over the starting job from Jamal Paxton and never gave it up until he left Georgia State. And it wouldn't totally floor me if that ends up being kind of the similar story this year. Again, it's nothing about Reese. I just got a feeling that Elliot likes Johnson behind him. And there is the benefit to, if a guy is ready as a freshman, getting him that experience at this point in his career when he has earned the job, because then next year he's a sophomore that's got starting experience at you know, this, the quarterback of the offensive line, the guy who's calling out the protections up in front of quarterback. So little thread line I'm watching possibly could be totally off base. Could be Reese holds it for all 12, 13 games. Georgia state plays this year, but just a little something later, I'm going to be looking back on and see if, uh, if I got that one right or not, but we can certainly move on to the defense. Cause I think you're right that, if there was waves from this depth chart, which is largely kind of a ceremonial thing that doesn't mean much, there was some interesting stuff on the defensive side for sure. Yeah, I mean, I think we can start with the linebacking linebacker core. Um, I, I know that the or doesn't really mean anything in college football, especially a Coach Elliott, you know, depth chart. Like, I, I want to be Tell very that clear. The Texas State coach, G.J. Kinney, who had 37 ors in his first depth chart this week. I, we'll segue to that, but what, what that doesn't even matter. Like it, there's, there's not that many, I think there's what two or three ores here, like 37. You might not even put out a depth chart if they're going to have 37 ores on it. That includes, by the way, an or between the first and the second string long snapper and also the second and third string long snapper. So big battle in San Marcos between the three long snappers who are all perfectly even. There's no way to separate these three long snappers. He's I'm probably good. ready to see all of these snaps on these punts to see like what the guy who won the job, like what he was doing to, to get it over to the other two. He's probably going to just put, you know, all three of their names in a hat um, <laughs> and just select it from there. Um, but anyways, you know, I was surprised that Justin Abram got the quote unquote starting spot over Jordan Venzio. I really was shocked. And, you know, I, I respected, you know, your offline take because obviously you have seen the, you know, the spring game, the open practice, you know, and I, you know, I, I, do not put any stock in it because of that. I just, I saw Justin Abraham get better at the end of last year a ton. He did. And I guess that's where my shock and surprise kind of comes in because I don't think that there was any issue with Jordan last year. Like, yeah, he's not the best cover linebacker. I think, you know, we know this and, you know, if the defensive minded coaches on the team have identified a guy who I believe is an all sunbelt caliber linebacker to be better than him. I think that says a lot about Justin Abram, first of all. And then second of all, I think linebacker depth was an issue last year uh, due to injuries, you know, not not necessarily due to 
uh, a talent deficiency, if, if you will. If a starter comes in, or if a starter goes down this year inside linebacker, a walk-on will not be coming in to replace them, which is and what it, the case was in the Charlotte game when Blake Carroll got hurt. Exactly. And it's going to be a guy who's got experience. Um, and that, you know, that's definitely going to matter. Um, I don't know how much, you know, they're going to play, just kind of given where I think this depth chart is. I really think a lot of the guys who are in the quote-unquote backup role, they're going to see a lot of time on the field. That's just kind of how the first couple of games of college football are in a year, whether it's a blowout, whether it's, you know, a performance thing. You know, it takes a couple of weeks to really get your feet wet and, you know, find your base. But, yeah, that was definitely something that surprised me when I looked at the depth chart at first. Yeah, I I would assume it is a case of him just continuing to develop. He got thrown into – a very tough situation when Carroll went down last year, got exposed when they played Coastal. Uh, thankless short week, you know, not having hardly any practice to be the guy at inside linebacker. But he didn't let that bone, you know, he got better as the year got on. He was playing really well by the end of the season. And so it would make sense that that continued, obviously, even as the team suffered through the end of the season. As at a personal level, as he's looking for the offseason, I'm sure he felt like, I took this first step, let me take another one. And like you say, I think everyone that linebacking core is basically going to shuffle in and out. Like, I don't really know that it matters, especially because there is an or there that it feels like it is razor thin and that you're certainly so going to see Venzial. Because I had the same take as you, is that I think that Venzial is a ball player. Like, if he is not the starter, it means the other guy who is the starter is pretty good also. And that's next to, again, we've talked about it now a couple of times, I think, but I am definitely still very intrigued on what John Trey Hunter does inside. And it's something that hadn't really dawned on me until this last week, really, which is probably embarrassing to say on a podcast where I'm supposed to sound smart, but like if he has a good year this year, moving inside to inside linebacker, having that experience as an outside linebacker previously, even starting as a safety when he got to Georgia State, with the size that he put on, he could have a really attractive draft position, even though he is in his COVID year. Like, you know, he's got he's a little bit older. Like he he could be the new top Georgia State draft pick when all is said and done after this year, because he's shown a lot already and he could kind of flourish in this new role. And so I'm definitely interested to see what happens there. And you know, sticking with the linebacker core. Josiah Robinson, I had seen playing some at the open practice, and I was like, maybe he's getting some reps. Maybe it's a thing where him and Corey Warren, who's the other Coastal Carolina transfer, getting a little bit more run because they know the Stags defense just that little bit more the little time that they were there with him and Conway and had a chance to go down and speak with Coach Elliott at his press conference this Monday. And I asked him about that, if that was kind of a factor and why they played or why they were where they were in the depth chart. He said, no, they weren't there hardly at all. Like they were there a year. They didn't really get into the scheme. They're there because they're ball players. They're good players. And he specifically said, I kept looking up in practice and Josiah was making play after play after play. And he's there, you know, whatever scheme he is in, I think he would play. And so that was certainly interesting and encouraging to hear because again, Jordan Jones is the other guy who kind of got thrown into things last year at inside linebacker. I thought he made some strides by the end of the year as well. And he's behind uh, Josiah Robinson. So it, it already felt like the strength of the defense and maybe the strength of the team uh, for the last little while, even when we 
you know, Blake Carroll had not necessarily, we didn't know his status. Turns out he has entered the portal. He is not with the program anymore. Don't know where that's going to end up. It was kind of a story we were kind of trying to pin everything down on and that's still pending, but I think we would have felt a little bit different about that news a couple of weeks ago, because since then we've learned, I think a lot about the inside linebacking core that like even losing a guy that's previously gotten all conference mentions like Carol is a really good unit. And I think it's going to be a a unit that Stax is going to lean on in his defensive scheme as he's kind of getting everything going in 2023. Can I just say that I know that we we hear a lot about like a lot of answers from coaches. I thought that was a really well thought up answer um, that coach gave um, <clears throat> when asked about the Robinson thing. So I I just wanted to you know throw that out there because it, it really it really seemed like a better answer than a typical you know blase coach speak type answer. Yeah, it's always good to get the real stuff and straight out of the coach speak and certainly not get like the non-answer. That's certainly what I'm always striving for is like, let, give me something. Um, but not a lot of surprise up front. Dunlap, one of the defensive line spots, Javon Dennis on the other side, Henry Bryant had been seeming to take that nose guard position. And with him and Fuchis Lewis and even Ricardo Williams, the other, the Juco addition, I kind of don't worry about the starting group, the guys that, we see on the depth chart thing that coach Staggs mentioned when he talked to Dave Cohen for the Panther insider podcast last week was that they were still trying to build the depth. And I kind of see that because with all the guys mentioned, I don't know in the event of an injury or whatever, like who is next up for the defensive line. They didn't lose a handful of good players there uh, through graduation and just through the portal and everything. So I could, kind of buy that is not just like a generic answer he gave in an interview. Like that might be somewhere where as the depth got improved in the offensive line and with the defensive uh, with the linebackers that it's very good. That might be a little spot to watch, you know, gonna have to lean on guys like Javon and Tylon and Henry Bryant to stay healthy, but I think it's a good group up front and the secondary, I think you feel okay because Gavin Pringle the senior grad transfer from Bucknell they brought in to start at the other cornerback position next to Brykees is doing that. And so you've got upperclassmen at every secondary position. So they're going to get a lot thrown at them in that, you know, we talked about when we talked about just what Stags' defense looks like. They might be on some islands sometimes. They're going to be having to mix in maybe some more blitzing from the cornerback and the safety spots than they used to. But I think it makes you feel okay that, yeah, the backup at each of the cornerback spots are a freshman and a sophomore and JT Jackson and Tony McRae, but you've got the senior stability at basically all the other spots in the secondary. And so that is at least is a, a tick mark of you feel good about the front end guy. So another spot where maybe death's going to be tested and who's going to step up if there's something that co- you know with an injury in the secondary. But I think mission accomplished as far as at least replacing the guys you lost in, you know, Jeremiah Johnson at safety, Pringle at cornerback. 
I'm excited for this this scheme change. Like that that was another thing that I looked at with the defense. Um, I couldn't tell you. You know, I don't have a ton of words to really say on you know the star position or you know Ronald Cooper in gen in general. Um, but I, you know, I like your thoughts on Pringle. I think you mentioned a couple of weeks ago that that was who we kind of pegged as the guy that they were going to put on the other side of Bryquis. Um, you know, Tate fine, Johnson fine. Safety is going to be a really really tough position to replace for Georgia State. We talked about it all off season. Um, you know, it, it's really hard to replace a guy like Hitstick. I'm not, I'm not sure that a guy is going to come in right away and provide that thump. And I, you know, I'm not expecting that. Um, but I think, I th- yeah. He and that's the thing. Thumps. Absolutely. Um, but on the other end, it's going to be interesting to see how this base defense evolves. And, you know, I, I think Georgia state kind of experimented with a little nickel last year. Um, so that they're playing a sort of base, you know, five defensive back type defense you know i'm excited to watch that because i think you know they've done pretty well over the years in defending the run and yes this is a new defensive philosophy but you know i want to see them actually start shutting down opposing passing attacks and really making it hard for teams to move the ball through the air um i don't know if the solution is just yeah throw an extra defensive back out there because that's not that you know you'd think that sometimes that works sometimes it doesn't work and you know i just hope that there's flexibility yeah, I mean, speaking to flexibility, the thing that I'm wondering about with the star position is, like, I know that it has Ronald Cooper and Cody Jones, the starters there, and I'm I'm sure they will play, but depth charts are a little bit, like, up in the air. There's not a 100% gospel. Obviously, coaches, coaches aren't going to tell you everything. So my one wonder there is, like, do you even see some rotation from the guys listed in safety? Like, whether it's Taiji Leach going over and playing that spot or whether he's at safety and – Jeremiah Johnson, who started out as a cornerback, so you'd figure has some coverage skills, is the one that maybe slides over at certain times and plays that star. That's the thing I'm wondering about because, like you say, it's still kind of guesswork until we see the defense on the field playing games. But if you're looking at one spot where the guys that are listed are not nearly of the pedigree that you know the other spots, it's that star spot because Cooper, I believe, is a former walk-on. I don't know if he's on scholarships yet. Um, but he has worked up from being a special teamer. Obviously, we've seen that work for guys at Georgia State before, like Tucker Gregg, uh, Keon Carter at safety. So that's not me knocking it. It's just as you're trying to game it out, that's the one spot where it's like, I'm not sure if we've seen them talked about this type of starter level. And uh, so that's why I say that. But I could be totally off base. It could be those guys have had a really good camp and they're ready to lock it down. And I'm ready to see what it looks like. But that's maybe the the one spot on the defense where maybe some inner trading there. And it's about having the best 11 on the field at any one time, rather than like this guy plays this position. So he's stuck right here. I guess we'll see how it all plays out. No, now that you mentioned that, I'm curious if they're going to bring in like some packages where you'll see like Swint back up um, and not necessarily be used in a coverage aspect. Um, but if they sort of rotate some of the, you know, down linemen and just have an extra guy be kind of roaming and, you know, if, if they believe it's a run play, for example, like, I, I wonder if they really will play with that position, um, a little bit more than just this initial depth chart indicates. I think a hundred percent. And I mean, 
every coach says their defense is going to be multiple, but like if you watch old coastal defenses, like you saw different fronts and you saw the outside linebacker spot doing some different things, lining up different places, sometimes almost like having a hand on the ground up as a fourth lineman, other times just coming off the edge like a traditional pass rusher and some other stuff. And I didn't watch like enough and I didn't like chart it all out to see what it all looked like. I don't pretend that I could do that and like a bunch of plays and just Mr. Defensive scheme guy, but I saw enough that made me feel like we're not really going to be able to pin down the base because there's going to be a lot of different looks. And it's honestly about just kind of making sure it isn't too much for the guys, making sure that they're able to still kind of play with an intensity and not worried about where they're supposed to be lined up. But that's kind of what the transition from camp to game week is about. And so I think you're just going to trust that Stags has a plan for simplifying it enough while keeping it this kind of new, aggressive, multiple scheme. All right, let's go ahead and talk about Thursday's game against Rhode Island, 7 p.m. Eastern, broadcast on ESPN Plus from Center Park Stadium. The Rams, out of the CAA, which now stands for Coastal Athletic Association, have finished 7-4 and four each of the last two seasons in the FCS ranks. Their head coach is Jim Fleming in his 10th year in charge. He holds an overall record of 31-62 and 62 at the school, but as the records of the previous two seasons indicate, things have been trending up as of late. They were selected 6th in the CAA preseason poll and picked in the FCS Top 25 in four different polls, topping out at 18th in Athlon Sports' edition. These teams have met once before in 2012 when Rhode Island were the lone team Georgia State defeated that season, when the Panthers ran away with a 41-7 win in Kingston on October 13th. So gentlemen, thoughts about the Rams? Yeah, I think when we went through our gut check, I kind of hit at the top this part that like, I think Georgia State is going to have to beat like every FCS team currently they have scheduled and whichever games get filled that aren't on the schedule yet with FCS opponents, like through like 2030, just sweep all of those for a lot of people to be like, all right, Georgia State is doing what they need to do against the FCS teams, especially Panther fans. And so we approach another one with a good team coming in where it's like people have seen this before. And so there's going to be that kind of worry. and. I can't default it on, I can't refute it just on the basis of, I think Rhode Island's a good FCS team. Jordan kind of laid out that they've had a good couple last seasons. They bring back guys, they bring back a very experienced seventh year players, I think, in Kasim Hill at quarterback. Coach Elliott raved about the offensive line that they've got. And when he's raving about offensive lines, I assume they're pretty good. So they're certainly not a team that Georgia State can take lightly. They are 6-0 and against the spread in their last six games against F- FBS opponents. That includes a game at Pitt last year. That includes playing Virginia Tech before then. And that includes an outright win against UMass in 2021 when they won 35-22. And so not only have they been playing these games close over the last half decade, they took a scalp a couple of years ago. And so everything combined with, you know, how last season ended and all the talk that there's been about this being a different year and improvement. I don't know that there's going to be any reason for Georgia state to come into this game flat. Like even though it's got FCS as the headline, like everything else about this shows this is going to be a game opponent that's ready to test Georgia state and they're open around Thursday. It'll be a, te- you're right. It will be a test and it's one that they definitely need to win. 
Um, the other thing I will say about Kasim Hill is if you if you take any sort of gander at the recent Rhode Island uh, record books, this this man is over all of them for just offense passing. Um, you know he can run a little bit. He's not not a prolific runner or anything like that, but he really is out here. Um, and I remember the last time Georgia State played an FCS opponent that you know did really good work with his arm and had some mobile ability. Um, can't put my, can't put my finger on his well, name. See, but. Here's the thing. I don't know if you're talking about Darren Granger, who they beat when he was at Furman or Treon Harris, who beat Georgia state at Tennessee state in 2017, former Florida quarterback. Exactly. Um, I was talking about Darren, but uh, it's, this is a good team, but Georgia state should still have the advantage um, containing Hill making sure that he the the new defensive scheme doesn't allow him to pick Georgia State apart. Um I, I think that really is gonna be the ball game for Georgia State, um, at least on the defensive side of the ball. Um that last year they did have a in a thousand yard rusher in Marquez de Shields. Um I don't had. He, yes. he has left. He has yes. he is not with the program anymore. So I mean I think his backup is back, so there's still yeah. And Kasim Hill, he netted like 447 rushing yards. Sack yardages knocked down his uh, his overall a, a good bit. I think he lost like 150 yards through sack yardage. So he's somewhere between Darren as a runner and like Peyton Manning. Like he is not going to be running option plays every other snap, but he's also not just going to be a statue in the pocket. So going to have to not lose contain on him. And, you know, offensively, I think, I mean, look, it's Georgia State football, right? Like we, we have talked over the last few years about what the bread and butter of this Panthers team is. It's going to be a team that wants to run the ball. And that's that, that really to me is just how they set the tone with the offensive line and how they run the ball. Because I think, a lot of the a lot of the size and a lot of the speed of just who they are and the people they have on the outside should allow them to, you know, move the ball through the air. But if they're running the ball and, you know, being a multifaceted offense, they should be able to put up point. Yeah, I mean, I'll go back to the defense after I say that I agree with you that the running game is going to be Georgia State's advantage in this where we know it's what they're going to want to do. It's what they've had success doing. I mean, even last year when we thought that the offensive line play left something to be desired, they still led the Sun Belt. They're still top 15 in the nation, which they've now done three years in a row with rushing yardage. So they are prolific at doing so. And the numbers on you know a cursory look from Rhode Island last year were pretty decent against the run. But if you look underneath the hood a little bit, Delaware rushed for 231 against them. Pittsburgh ran for 271 against them. William and Mary ran for 314 against them. Monmouth ran for 237 against them. Like the good offenses they faced last year were able to move it on the ground against them. And they had, you know, Bryant was only able to run for two yards and New Hampshire only ran for 62 yards. And you've got some other ones in there, you know, Brown 113 better numbers that make the whole season total look a little bit better. But Georgia State is more in the category of those first teams I mentioned as far as good offenses, good rushing offenses. And so if it's a case where Georgia State is never forced to adjust from their main game plan of 
running the ball and if they're staying in favorable second and third downs and it's not a game where Darren is being forced to be the one beating you. You know, those questions about what steps he's taken may wait another week because I know that if they're having success, and we all know if they're having success on the ground, Sean Elliott is not going to have his offensive coordinator switch anything up. And so the the reason I say it's still, I think, Georgia State advantage, aside from just the scholarship difference and everything, is that that they're going in with a game plan and track record Rhode Island is a good team. They are, is they might not be able to make them adjust from that game plan on offense. And it'll be a case of having to outscore Georgia state and doing so with not as much at the clock, because with the new rules where everything is going to be running, running, running. I think if Georgia state's running the ball after a week, the new rules with the clock, not stopping on first downs means I think like, on average, it was like four less plays, so that's pretty insignificant. But this could be a game where those plays make a difference if those are snaps that Rhode Island's offense does not have on the field. And then on the defense, you mentioned it about Hill throwing it around and everything and test for the defense. And I just think the biggest thing is going to be cutting out, not having just where you don't line up right, where you have some missed assignments, where you miss on some run fits and stuff like that. Like he's a plenty good enough quarterback with good weapons and a good offensive line that you can't help him out. And that's something that Coach Ellie talked about that is kind of the first real thing that you have to get over when you're installing a defensive scheme is that you are going to mess up on that stuff early on in camp. And he mentioned that things are getting better as camp had gone on. And so I think your goal there is just make Rhode Island beat you. And if they do not turn it over while they're running the ball effectively on offense, and if the defense doesn't have any of those type of warts in their first game in a new defense, uh, I think it will bode well by the end of the night in Atlanta. It certainly will. You know, I don't, I don't know that this is a, a type of game where if Georgia state hits that 160 rushing yards that like Rhode Island allowed last year, there's, there's no way there's no way that Georgia state is going to lose. I mean, I put it at more than that. Like, I'd say hit the 200 mark on the ground. You'd feel a lot better. Like 160 might not do it, but indications are that that is very doable. And it's just going to be about coming in and playing crisp. And like, even aside from, okay, you've got some new faces on the offense of line, you know, you're shuffling out running backs, all that, like all things considered, the bulk of the big losses were on defense. As far as just personnel, you you lost your Mari thrash, but Given all we just talked about the running game, this shouldn't be the game where like, oh, you don't have Jamari Thrash anymore makes a difference. And with all the experience that they have and having a three-year starter, like we've done all of this stuff praising Darren for how he's grown, the steps he took last year, the leadership roles continued to grow in this year. But that also means that like I we can expect this to be a pretty crisp offense. And if like the the issue we're back on this pod next week win or lose is that the offense wasn't running on a bunch of good you know firing on all cylinders playing clean football then that's an issue and that's like a disappointment because even with the shakeup on the offensive line this is still pretty intact unit with the same coordinator as last year and so going against the defense that you should have the advantage on that's you know the standard is this like I think that the offense should have a pretty good day should surpass 30 points for sure. And the rest of like the margin is going to kind of have to be up to what the defense does, but 
I put the bar pretty high for the offense coming out here in game one. Like I know it's a game one, but I still think that got to be pretty good. You've got too many guys back and even the replacements like Carol that you're bringing in, you feel are able to step into the roles immediately. I'll give him a mulligan of a quarter though. You know, I, I agree with you, but it is game one. There's some, you know, jitters always a new season, you know, some new rules that aren't, you know, hugely impactful, but still new rules. So it'll be, you know, it'll be fun. Yeah. I mean, I'm a hoarder maybe, but the other part of that is you want to jump out to a lead because the one way you lose these games, and it's this thing, whether it's football, basketball, you can't give the FCS team hope. You can't, you know, it even was the case with you know the Charlotte game where Georgia state was, it's not an FCS game, but it was a game that they jumped out and, it seemed like they had the advantage in last year. Then that strip sack happened, ties the game, and from there, just kind of a, a slugfest. And I think that's also why playing clean is an important part. Aside from turnovers matter, and you can't have turnovers. I mean, they lost the Tennessee State game because they had so many turnovers in that game back in 2017. But it's also about like what that turnover means. Like The FCS team coming in and getting a big pick or a fumble recovery juices them up in a big way. And so, like, I understand your point. They're all human. They're football players. Takes a little time to get into the rhythm of things. But I do think that getting out to that fast start is going to be important because you just cannot let FCS teams hang around because that's how they're there late in the game. And that's how they're the ones who feel like they're going to win the game when the clock's ticking down in the fourth quarter. All right. So before we get you out of here this week, why don't we take a quick look around the league to the rest of the games happening in week one? Yeah, I want to introduce this. We did this with basketball last year, so I'm just kind of continue to get to know the conference made, see what's going on there, because it's also important when those teams come around on the schedule. Uh, But I will say that I don't know if this is going to be the week where we learn much about basically anyone, because like Georgia State, a handful of teams are playing against FCS opponents that are likely wins, should be wins. You know, you've got Gardner-Webb going to Appalachian State, the Citadel going to Georgia Southern. Bucknell heading to Harrisonburg to play JMU. Albany heading to Marshall. And Alcorn State going to Southern Miss. And Stephen F. Austin going to Troy. And Northwestern State going to Louisiana. And all of those, you figure, should be wins and not much to learn. Just about, you know, little, like, parts of that team that whatever they need to work on, hopefully their fans see what they're looking for in that game. There's some interesting power conference games likes of Coastal Carolina heading to Pasadena to face UCLA in the late game on Saturday. ODU going to Virginia Tech after ODU beat uh, Virginia Tech in Norfolk last year. And Texas State going to Baylor in J.G. Kinney's first game as Bobcats head coach. Arkansas State going to Oklahoma. I think it kind of trended down in like level of interest, level of possibility of upset there, but some games to watch there for sure. I don't know that I heard you mention the like G5 game of the week. I feel like USA too late. I, is such I was a saving that for last. Game. I was I was moving past everything else, like because okay. that is the main event. So yeah, no, I mean, you, step, you stepped on my reveal a little bit there. <laughs> that's fine. Go ahead. That makes sense. No, I mean, I, I think there's a lot we can learn from that game just in terms of the Sun Belts. Um, and 
and I, this comment is going to sound like a hater so forgive me people but you know i think it is not i think it's very fair to suggest that the new fo newly formed american conference is probably not as strong at football um as they used to be um and so i think you know a good south alabama that didn't win the Sun Belt last year but still had a really good season a strong showing on the road at Tulane would be a really good barometer for the Sun Belt conference um you know I I can't tell if my intrigue with the rest of the conference this week is college football's back or you know if I think that any of these games are you know I just don't necessarily buy the huge Sun Belt upset potential here I think it's going to be a pretty you know, chalky week. Um, I, I think Tulane was favored by six and a half. So I think that one. That is I what could, I've seen. Yeah. I, I'll yeah. call that one an upset, if you will. Um, but, you know, I think for the rest of the games, you know, it's just nice that college football is back. And, you know, ODU, hey, God bless you. I hope they can beat Virginia Tech again because it would be funny. I mean, my dad went to Virginia Tech, and so I will obligate you do feel my obligation to say it would not be that funny. Um, hokey, hokey high and all that. Uh, it feels like less likely this year, not only because it's in Blacksburg, but just because ODU's got some questions and I'm unsure what that team looks like. That's one of the teams I, along with Georgia State, that I need to kind of see the start of the season play out to kind of get a feel for the Monarchs. Uh, the other game that I didn't mention there, not nearly as G5 game of the weeky as USA Tulane, which I will be locked into for sure. Army is heading to Monroe, and they are 10-point favorites, and they, I don't know if you are aware, are not running the triple option like you know it anymore. That's right. Because Jeff Monken found the new blocking rules where basically no one outside of offensive linemen are allowed to go below the waist, and he was basically like, we can't run it anymore. And so they're doing more like a gunny shotgun, kind of like what Georgia Southern brought in when they went away with it with a Went away from it with Willie Fritz back in 2014, but not a totally new offense for them, but enough to where they're on the road. They're not like going to totally out talent, even you, Monroe, just because that's not what Army is able to do. So I'm interested in that one in the sense that it could be a, a big win for Terry Bowden's bunch. And like playing in Monroe, even for good teams in the league, has been kind of a house of horrors the last couple of years. Like they play their best ball at home. And they have gotten some wins and some close games. Some, some the road team didn't feel good about it. Wins the last couple of years under Bowden. That you know, you're talking about upset potential. I think it's a win for sure if none of the FCS teams beat the FBS, the Sun Belt teams. Obviously, winning against any of the P5 uh, games would be a big, big deal for the conference. I like you kind of look at the South Alabama one as the only option as far as the bigger upsets. But I think it would be a big win for UL Monroe and what they're trying to build if they're able to beat Army at home to start the season. And certainly would be a show of like, maybe we're going to take the step. Because the thing that I have said, and I've said this to a few people, and just I'm kind of gauging the Sunbelt West, is that obviously it runs through the Alabamas. Um, I don't think that Southern Miss is going to be bad. I don't think Louisiana is going to be bad. But I just don't feel like the bottom of the league is just going to stay exactly as it is. I think someone's going to take a step. I don't know if it's Arkansas State or ULM or if it's uh, Texas State in year one of Coach Kinney yet. But 
I just I feel like something is going to kind of shake up there and someone who shouldn't quote unquote is going to push bowl eligibility and so the thing I'm watching in the west as the season gets going is kind of who's making waves on that side that is a surprise and so for that reason they pull off that win I will certainly take note even if army isn't this like world beater of an opponent it still would be it's a good been a good program under coach Munkin. hey I just looked at ULM's schedule. If they pull off that win, I don't know that it's it will happen, but it is not crazy to suggest that a couple other things happen and this could be a bowl team. Really, like I, I it would it would still take a lot of work, but I think given you know you beat a team like Army at home, you've got Lamar the next week, and just some of the confidence that that might instill in you, um, you know, it would it wouldn't shock me. I will just say that. Obviously, they still got to go out there and do it, like you said. Um, they can't be bad forever, hopefully. Um, but it just like I said, it wouldn't shock me. Kind of like Georgia State, where they're starting out 2-0. and I mean, you don't really care about the opponents. That would stand for something. And, like, look, I'm not calling this shot. I am sure the marriage between Jimbo Fisher and Bobby Petrino are going is going to go great. But I will say that Texas A&M's on a one-game losing streak against the Sun Belt. And that's who ULM, ULM plays their third week. So I'm not saying they're going to march into College Station to do what App State did, but Texas A&M got some red ledger, some red in their ledger from the Sun Belt right now. Yeah, exactly. Like I, I, I absolutely pick up what you're putting down. So I don't know. It's gonna be, it's gonna be weird. Weird season abound, of course. Looking forward to it as well. I mean, the best part about all this is the college football, actual college football is back and it's going to be, it's going to be glued to it all weekend because that is the one benefit of uh, playing on Thursdays. You can just lock in on that Saturday slate all day. doesn't matter who's playing, it's back. And the other thing I wanted to mention as we're just kind of going through the Sunbelt slate in week one is if you were following along last year, I joined up with Scott Watkins, who writes for Southern, covers Southern Miss, um, did a little Twitter space on the Sunbelt every Wednesday, and I'm pleased to say that is back. So we will be back on your Twitter airwaves 9 Eastern time on Wednesday, so a little late for us in uh, not God's uh, time zone, as David would say. But definitely looking forward to kind of digging in all the matchups again with Scott and everyone else who joins in. It's one of those things where if you want a request, ask a question, say a comment, you're welcome to do so. And so we welcome any Georgia State fans joining all the Fun Belt Madness on that Twitter space every Wednesday this season. And last but certainly not least, it's the return of Sports Bits because we are once again in the thick of college athletics competition here at the end of August. So we'll go ahead and give you the next upcoming week in Georgia State Athletics. Uh, nothing today on the 30th as of the release of this podcast, but of course our headliner, Football versus Rhode Island, Center Park Stadium, 7 p.m., uh, broadcast on ESPN+. Plus. You can also listen to Dave Cohen on the call on WRAS-FM 88.5. At the same time, 7 p.m., women's soccer takes on Western Carolina in North Carolina. That game also on ESPN+. Plus. And then moving into September, we have on the first four events, we've got volleyball traveling up to Spartanburg, South Carolina for the Wofford USC Upstate Tournament, taking on Elon at 12.30 p.m., and Wofford at 7 p.m. Both of those matches will be on ESPN+. While Women's Cross Country travels up the road to Ackworth at the Stan Sims Cross Country Opener. That's kicking off at 6.30 p.m. 
men's soccer traveling to Memphis to face Memphis at 7 p.m. That game on ESPN+. Moving on to Saturday the 2nd, women's golf travels to Mobile for the USA Intercollegiate All-Day Event. And then volleyball continues in their tournament in Spartanburg, taking on USC Upstate at 2 p.m. That match will be on ESPN+. Sunday the 3rd, women's golf continues at the USA Intercollegiate, while women's soccer hosts Ole Miss at the GSU Soccer Complex down at 188 MLK at 2 p.m. That game on ESPN+. And then on Monday, women's golf finishes up at the USA Intercollegiate. Tuesday, men's soccer hosting Wofford down at 188 MLK as well at 7 p.m. on ESPN+. And that's it for the next upcoming week. Of course, on Thursday, Brady and I will be in attendance at Center Park Stadium. Brady up in the press box with all of your in-game action and myself down on the field getting some photos. And you can see all of our stuff on panthertalk.com after the game. So we'll look forward to seeing you there. Until then, have a great week and go Panthers!